0: From the Carter Subaru Studios, this is Cairo Nights with Jake Scoreheim.
1: Welcome back to the show. I am your host, Jake Skorheim. Thank you guys so much for joining us. We have Lisa Brooks joining us in the studio. Lisa, welcome. Greetings. Greetings. We also have Matt Butler. Matt, welcome. Hey, hey. In this segment, we like to look back at all the other shows, and we boil their three hours down to, like, the best minute 45, just so you guys, it's impossible to listen to all, listen. we hope that you're listening in Cairo all day, my bosses love it when you do that, but you probably aren't, it just takes a long time, there's a lot to do during the day, you have jobs, you have kids, you have all these things, so we like to go back and find the best stuff that you might have missed, and then we replay it here, and then we can talk about it, which is fun, but first, I gotta pay off this trivia, this was a really tough one, last night was really easy, it was Braveheart, everybody got that one. This one is uh, like 50 50. Don't
2: cry! Hold it back!
1: Let it turn to something else. Let it turn.
3: Just let it turn to something else, okay?
4: Listen. Listen, Listen. listen. Don't cry. Don't you ever cry again as long as you live. As long as you live, i do it. You
1: hear me? That was some very emotional acting. Gosh. And there are a lot of famous people in that scene. They're all teenagers. This is one of their early movies. Hmm. This is in the 1980s. Matt, have you come 84. up with it? 84. You've come up with it. Don't tell me. Lisa, do you know what the movie this is? Goonies. It's not Goonies. I no. have no idea. No. Uh, that would be a very dark version of Goonies yeah. if this was it. Matt, what's the answer? The answer is Red Dawn. Oh. How, how long did it take you to come up with that? You know, I couldn't
5: remember the name until people started texting it in. I knew oh, you i had saw seen it, but right, I couldn't remember right. the name. It just so you sounded did, so So familiar. you didn't
1: get it either? I didn't know the name. No, oh, I forgot. wow. Yeah. So that's Patrick Swayze. There's a ton of great actors in that. Um, uh, who's the guy who had all the, the tiger blood? What was his name? Charlie Sheen. Charlie Sheen. Young Charlie Sheen's in this movie. It's uh, uh, Tom, is it, is something Howell, Thomas something Howell. C. Thomas Howell. C. Thomas, C. Thomas yeah. Howell. It's a great movie. John Milius wrote it. I think he directed it, too. Didn't he? John Milius directed this movie? Uh, yeah. And he wrote part of it. Fantastic. Director and writer, yeah. It's a really good movie. Have you seen it, Lisa? Red Dawn? I do. I, I did see Years it. Years ago, I, Yeah, I yeah. do
4: not remember it at yeah. all. It's
1: probably not on your yearly watch list. Not at all. Okay. Yeah, well, it holds up. It's pretty good. I actually turned it on the other night. I got home from doing the show. I don't know what time it was. It was probably like 10.30 or something like that. My house was really quiet. I get my bowl of cereal, just like my nightly routine. And I'm like, normally I watch like a funny comedy or something for just like 10 minutes just to let my brain just zone out. And I see Red Dawn has been added to whatever queue, I, you know. And I was just like, oh, hey, Red Dawn. It's been forever since I watched Red Dawn, probably only like two years. But I was like, that looks fun. So I turn it on. I ended up watching like almost the whole thing. And oh. I didn't turn it off until like midnight. It was, it's a great movie. It's a really great movie. All right. Let's get into it. News Roundup. Seattle's Morning News. Dave Ross was talking about Boeing's woes. and There are a lot right now. What did Dave have to say?
3: The Saturday Night Live skit was brutal. Since the incident, we're starting to make some changes. You know those bolts that, like, hold the plane together? We're going to go ahead and tighten some of those. The skit targeted Alaska Airlines and never even mentioned Boeing, but it didn't have to. Everybody knows who supplied the plane. The repeated hits to Boeing's reputation have vindicated the warnings from engineers who years ago warned that relying on too many subcontractors and trying to maximize stock price would have consequences. But there's more at stake here than just Boeing's reputation. Capitalism's reputation is also on the line. Boeing's troubles are being portrayed as another example of glaring flaws in American free market capitalism with Europe's highly regulated, unionized, and subsidized Airbus now outpacing Boeing to the point that last year Airbus delivered 40% more jets and won 60% more orders, even though Europe has the kind of labor-friendly laws that would supposedly be far too costly to enforce here. And even if we ignore Airbus, as any investor will tell you, it's pretty clear that if the goal of Boeing's management was to optimize stock price, it's been a colossal failure. And I think we know why. A consensus has developed that the trouble began in 1996 with the McDonnell-Douglas merger, followed by the decision to move the headquarters to Chicago in 2001, until finally in 2004, management decided formally that Boeing, with its detail-obsessed engineers who wouldn't sign off on anything unless it was perfect, was being run too much like an engineering firm, and that it was time to run it as a business instead. That now appears to have backfired. It turns out that the way to create lasting shareholder value is not to focus on shareholder value. Because in the airplane business, where one mistake can be deadly, what creates shareholder value is a flawless product. So how to turn this around? I think the perfect opening move would be to admit the mistakes of the past and announce that headquarters is moving back to Seattle, a place teeming with talented people who know how to design and build reliable airplanes and who would be more than happy to explain to management what kind of resources they need to make that happen. Plus, I'm told you can get a really good deal on office space around here these days.
1: Do you guys, uh, do you guys feel confident in Boeing flights, Boeing planes right now? Wow. Lisa?
4: That's a hard, hard question. I mean, there. I think I, there was something else about a Delta, a wheel falling off a Delta flight. There was a Boeing jet today. I'm trying to find more details about that. There used to be an expression, if it isn't Boeing, I'm not going. And now I wonder if we're turning that around to, if it is Boeing, I'm not going.
1: I saw another story. This was not a Boeing airliner. This was another one of their competing airliners. Um, I, I, I'm not going to name it because I don't want to get it wrong. But there was a guy, this is, again, this is not a Boeing, uh, Boeing manufacturer, but there was a guy sitting on his plane. It was in Europe, and he's looking out the window at the wing, and he notices that there's all these missing screws on the on what this one panel on the wing. And he goes, he calls over. He doesn't have a problem with it because he's a very frequent flyer, and, you know, he doesn't feel like he needs to worry about it. But his wife is sitting next to him, and for whatever reason, he points it out to her, and she is a bad flyer in this story. And she says, you need to call somebody because we're about to take off. And what if that ends up being a problem? So he calls over the stewardess, hoping that the stewardess says, oh, that's just a something panelist. Flight attendant. Flight attendant, whatever. Uh, Flight attendant. He calls over the flight attendant who could be male or female. You're right, Lisa. And the flight attendant says, yeah, we're going to check that out. So they get a a crew to come over here and the crew checks it out and the crew says, all right, everybody off the plane. (gasps) And they... Parked the plane, and they cancel their flight. Wow. And then they get them all a new flight, but everybody was, like, taken off this flight because this guy noticed there was these screws missing.
4: That's amazing.
1: And just because he happened to look out the window right before takeoff, who knows how many flights wow. that they go on. But these planes, again, we did this story back when the uh, back when the plug fell off this flight. They haven't had a crash, a fatality in the United States since what was it 2009 it's i think it's been
4: quite a while it's yeah. been quite
1: a while there are parts in other parts of the world where boeing has obviously had accidents in the last 737X. few years
4: 737
1: max but in the united states we've had a really pretty great flying record and so they pro- a lot of them have a lot of these issues but they still have gotten gotten there safely so yeah it's a good question i don't know if i don't know if day's point is capitalism is bad. I don't know what I, I don't definitely don't agree with that. No,
5: it was the, the point I think was the point I took away from it was that if you cut corners in just to boost share price, if you don't look at the long term, then you're harming your consumers in the long term you harm your company by not taking the longer approach.
4: Yeah
1: I, I agree with that. I also think the idea of them uh, uh, bringing their headquarters back to Washington will never happen because it's just too expensive for them to do business here. It
4: would be nice, but yeah, I I think you're right. It'll be interesting to see, I don't know if you heard the news story, but coming up this Thursday, the 737 Max, or the, the Brenton plant is going to stop making planes for the day and everybody's going to be in meetings and seminars about safety and training. And apparently they're going to be allowed to give ideas on how to improve quality control. So it'll be very interesting to see what happens at Thursday's uh, event.
1: That's good. That's good. I think, we can all feel, I think we can all feel confident to get on a plane, knowing that they're going to be talking about it <laughs> at Boeing on Thursday. All right. Jeff Bezos made how much an hour? G and Ursula were talking about this. Let's see. Do you guys want to take a guess before we learn how much he made an hour? Gosh. Mm. I wouldn't even know where to start. Ten million. I, yeah, t- I mean it's
4: gotta be an in hour? the millions
1: an hour. It's gotta be yeah. like it's gotta be like five, okay, a couple million an hour.
4: Uh, yeah, maybe. Maybe. Let's say all right. You said what, ten? You 10. said two. I'll say I'll say
1: eight. Two, eight, and ten. Here we go. Jeff Bezos
5: made seven point nine million dollars
4: every year.
1: Wow, you were close. Right right on. On. Good, <laughs> Good job. One
4: seven point nine million. For
1: Good now. for you, Lisa. The hour in 2020. Guess what you get? Nothing.
4: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'm used to it. Twenty
1: three, nearly eight million dollars an hour.
4: Now,
5: now think about that for a second. It's nine forty nine right now, and at ten forty nine, imagine having eight million dollars in your account. And then at eleven, and then at eleven forty nine, you now have sixteen million. And then at you get where I'm going
4: well you didn't want to keep doing that math did you yeah it was hurting
5: <laughs> no i kind of like i kind of like the
3: thought experiment was, hey,
4: <laughs>
5: hey, hey that
3: was that was hurting y'all so
5: anyways um in under 13 minutes he brought in the equivalent of what the typical person earns in a lifetime is it immoral for someone to make that much money eight million dollars an hour
4: is it immoral i would just say that it's distasteful but he's doing it legally and what i mean essentially it's because of stock prices of amazon Mm -hmm. and what's driving stock prices the fact that all of us as consumers want everything so quickly that we're happy to pay whatever it is for those memberships etc etc and you know, do you fault someone for making that much money? The part where the, that I fault is if he's not paying the appropriate amount in taxes. It's very simple for me. Uh, it doesn't it doesn't come down to, no, to a number. It is what is taxed. Should your work be taxed or your passive income that you earned for doing nothing? Our hard work is taxed at 18 to 30 mm-hmm. percent. Jeff Bezos billions. Which he does not work for. They just accrue with zero effort, are taxed at next to nothing, if anything, because they're hidden. That that entire equation should be flipped. The, do you guys think it's a? Immo- what
1: was the question there, Matt? What, is if it it's immoral, immoral to what to earn eight million an hour? That's silly, uh, Matt. What do you think? Is it immoral to okay, earn eight million dollars an hour? I'm going to parse it this way.
5: It's not inherently immoral. It's what you do with it after. And most people who are earning that much money find it very easy to be selfish with it and to slip into greedy patterns. It's fine to earn the money, but what you do after it matters a lot. And the impact, and Chef nailed it too, it's
4: disproportionate. I think he has a great point. What do you think, Lisa? Is it immoral to earn money? Is immoral and obscene the same word in this case? I would use the word obscene.
1: Would you, is like negative, obscene as in it's negative to earn that much money?
4: I don't think it's bad to do well in a company that you have founded, but I think that there's something else that can be done than putting it in his pocket. Is, is he spreading it around in some way? Is there some accountability? Well, but he is. He is spreading
1: it around. We see it kind all the time. Of, he gives a ton to charity. He and his girlfriend yeah. or his fiancee or whatever she is now, Lauren Sanchez, they give a ton to charity and they also, you know. While do- lobbying fiercely against paying more in taxes. Using the power of their wealth, stacking the deck. You th- No, he's not stacking. He has funded Seattle. I mean, when you think about it, it's not immoral what he's doing because he created a business which funds... And then Much f- of Seattle. And then flipped
5: out when we tried to get him to do something about housing more people in Seattle. What
1: do you mean housing more people in Seattle? By the taxes. They
5: re- they threw a revolt. They're like, we're going to take our ball and go home because we don't have
1: enough. Well, it's his ball. tax. Seattle is saying, we're going to just take more of your money because we want it. In a business. Isn't that immoral? Here
5: using our resources, our infrastructure, and our populace to work for him.
1: But he's... Not doing it for free. These people aren't compelled to work for him. He's paying them tremendous amounts of money. I think the average person at Amazon is making almost a quarter million dollars a year. I
4: don't. Is that true? I don't Like think for that... the
1: engineers. It's like two like it's like two hundred twenty five thousand dollars a year or but, something. Well, if it's you're phenomenal. Moment, yes, pay,
5: But have you looked at how many complaints and issues his ground employees have the people that are doing the grunt work, the physical work?
1: No, I'm not saying that there's not low-paying jobs at Amazon. I'm just saying that to to say that he's immoral because he makes a lot of money doesn't make any sense to me. It's an odd word. What word would you use? F- fantastic. If you've if you've achieved the ability to make that much money, do you know how many people are benefiting because Jeff Bezos is alive? How many people? Seattle would not exist as it exists today. Do you know just, how many more
5: if, people could benefit if Jeff Bezos didn't hang on to more money than he could spend in five lifetimes? So to, to what, just take his money? To I don't whom think that's much right. is given, much is required. He earned the initial money. We're not arguing, and G spoke more about this in the show. We're not arguing that he earned the money. We're arguing that now he is at a level where his money earns more money than most people earn in their lifetimes without him doing more work. He's not creating a new product. Well, that's to make not this a moral that's a that's
1: a reward for being a genius and for making a lot of money. Well, when if I'm a
5: genius and I have more money than I can spend in multiple lifetimes, then I'm not concerned with lobbying
1: against regulations or Tax law that would help me pay. Well, that, more but of that's your of the right.
5: Society that I profited
1: off of. But that would be your right. You're you're saying that he's like a vampire sucking off society, yes. but he's but he's not
5: doing that. Ab- no, no, absolutely. Because if you reach a point where you have enough and you continue to
1: hoard it, there is something fundamentally morally flawed. I think we can agree to disagree on this. I think Jeff Bezos, he's made a ton of money. I think he's done a lot more good in our economy in Seattle than he has sucked from it. I don't think he's just taken well, all he of the money out of Seattle. To build him a statue. What's that?
5: Then we can use taxpayer money and build him a statue. I
1: don't think he wants a statue, and we certainly wouldn't use taxpayer money for it. (laughs) All right, Jeff Bezos. We can agree to disagree on him. But if he's listening, if somebody who knows Jeff Bezos is listening, I was on your side. So uh, send me some of that sweet, sweet money you got. All right, um, let's see. Do we have time for one more? What do you think, Mac? Jack and and Spike or John Uh, and Sherry? John and Sherry. John and Sherry. All right. Observations on pop culture critics. Do they matter?
3: John and Sherry, what did they say about it? You know what's so strange about critics, though? The weird thing about critics is, like, but they're not doing it. Like, if they could do it, it, they're so critical. If they could do it, why wouldn't they act? They could do other stuff. um, And I used to give Tom a hard time about it because Tom was critiquing various movies. But people always turn to the critic and go, well, what do you think of that? Like, what makes the critic the person that somebody should listen to? You, well, know what, I, you know what I mean? I,
4: yeah, but I, I, think they, I think they offer a perspective that another actor can't because another actor is going to f- see it through the eyes of acting and probably the effort that it took from that perspective. Whereas a critic is looking for all kinds of different things. They are looking for performance. They're looking for the level of entertainment. They're looking for all the other things that that uh, go into a movie. And so I do think they have an an interesting perspective. I agree. It's kind yeah. of a great job. Yeah, so on-
1: it is a nice thing to be a uh, movie critic because you know there is a, an ease. You don't have to actually create the product. You're also not subjecting yourself to other people's judgments, which is a nice thing. You're the person judging. It's just a good position to be in. Yeah, it's tough to create something yes. and then ask people to judge it. Yes, it's really really tough. So I understand why people who create things also don't like critics. But I do think critics do a really valuable service. They help
4: filter things. Yeah, they
1: help filter things. They help do a lot. They see a lot of stuff that I don't want to have to see or hear or listen to or eat I can if I trust a critic, I go. I can go. Hey, is this a good restaurant to go to? Nice, I'll check it out. And
5: you know, even as a music guy, even with stuff I love or have a personal opinion about, sometimes I'll listen to things that are really classic, and I'll go back. You know, I wonder what Rolling Stone said about that when it came out. I wonder if somebody else received this album or this song the way I did or interpreted it that way. So I enjoy reading criticism, even of stuff I know I already like. or dislike. Yeah, and it's
1: just a like you were saying, it's just a it's a it's a, like a prompt to think of something in a new way. Which is kind of nice. And different didn't John
4: used to be an actor? I think he was an actor in New York City trying think, to make his way.
1: I think he was, and I think he was in some. Uh, commer- I think there's a. I think there's some ads with John in them, like some some commercials that he was in. Yeah, we should okay. find those. Yeah, he should I put, know
4: Sherry was in movies.
1: Sherry's been in movies. Yes, yeah, and she was in, in v- video games. Yeah, in vi- she's right. in a ton of video games. She still is. She's a wow. very successful voice yeah. voice person.
4: So are they? Should they be criticizing critics?
1: Uh, well, yeah, I mean, I guess they should, they're right to criticize critics. Be they a have critics criticize. Okay. All right. That's it for the news roundup. I hope you guys have enjoyed it. Speaking of critics, Jason Rance and I are going to talk about movies next. Jason's going to join us. The Oscar nominations were this morning. So we, of course, are going to talk about which movies were snubbed, which ones that we loved, which ones we assume are going to win the coveted Oscar. And you can hear all that next when we come back here on Cowboy Nights. You're listening to Cairo Nights with Jake Scorehan. Welcome back to Cairo Nights. I've got a very special guest on with me tonight, Jason Rance from The Jason Rance Show on our sister station, 770 KTTH. Jason, welcome to the show.
2: Thank you. I feel like I was just here. You were just here
1: last oh, night. Oh, yeah. Yeah, right. you were just here. Um, all right, so the reason we're talking today, obviously, is because you and I both love movies. Yep. We can't get enough of them. We like to talk about all the screeners we both get, and we get to watch, and it's lots of fun. makes us feel special because we get screeners before anybody
2: else. I like feeling more special than other people. That's the difference. Yes. Yeah. Well, I'm we're, the, we're
1: the same in that yeah, way. Isn't that great? Yeah. So the Oscars were announced this morning. The nominations, not the Oscars themselves, but the nominations this morning— Where do you want to start? Let's just jump right into it.
2: Well, Let's just go in order that they did it, actor in a leading role. All right, best supporting actor. We have Sterling
1: K. Brown, American Fiction, De Niro, Killers of the Flower Moon, Robert Downey Jr., Ryan Gosling, and Mark Ruffalo. Are there any of these that are surprised to you? Did you see all these movies?
2: I've seen all of these movies. I was somewhat surprised, but not totally, by Sterling Brown, only because he's really known as a TV actor. His role in American Fiction wasn't that prominent. He, he was good, uh, he wasn't bad. And then I would say Ryan Gosling is a bit of a surprise. I did not expect that he was going to get the nomination here. What
1: what is the I saw online because there has to be controversy. So what is the controversy with Ryan Gosling? The and controversy
2: Barbie? is that Margot Robbie did not get nominated for best actress. She of course played Barbie and Greta Gerwig did not get best director. She directed the film. They're saying it's rather ironic that Ken gets the Oscar nomination <laughs> But not Barbie. and Isn't the whole subplot of Barbie that he's just canon? and yes, He's nobody without that's Barbie? That's the irony. Yeah, that's funny. And while I find it hysterical, the irony, there's also some context here. You're comparing two different categories that will have inherently two different sets of really strong or not as strong competition. Yeah. I would argue you saw way more strong competition in the best actress category that you did best supporting actor. I mean, when you look at the best actress and we do that next, like, is there anyone on this list that should not be there? No. No. And it, it would be tough. So best
1: actress was Emily Blunt in Oppenheimer. She was fantastic. Daniela Brooks in The Color actress. Purple.
2: I'm sorry. Oh, no, that's Best Supporting actor. But actress. continue with that because this is important too.
1: All right. Uh, Daniela Brooks, Color Purple. America Ferrara, who was in Barbie. Yep. Jodie Foster, Nyad, Divi-
2: uh, Divine, Joy Randolph in The Holdovers. Yeah, so Barbie did get an actress nomination. Or just just a actress, not for Margot Robbie. Yeah, it's just America Ferrara. And I would argue she should not be on the list, and yet there she is. I think in that category, Divine, Joy Randolph's probably going to win. 100%, and she should win. That was a great movie. It was a good movie. Yeah, the she's holdovers. outstanding. Yeah, she's really, really she good. She is so good in it. Uh, for those of you who watch... Um, uh, murderers in the building. She was in season one. She played the detective. She is so good in this movie. Yeah, she's fantastic. Can you tell me though? Emily Blunt should not be on that either. She was Oppenheimer. She played uh, the wife. Do you think that she small should small been... role that oh, wasn't was going to say? Do you think it should have been more than a supporting? No, I don't think she should have been nominated. I don't. She was not a standout in that film. The, the role that she played, I I just. It's a throwaway role. The, well, the
1: movie is so big. You're yeah. so interested in the science. You're so interested in Oppenheimer. That And, you know, Downey Jr. was great, too. You're so interested in those parts. You are not paying a ton of attention to
2: her in the film. You're not. Jodie Foster is on this for a movie no one saw. It wasn't particularly good. She's in it. Um, In a main role, she gets this nomination because people like Jodie Foster and they want to give her a nomination.
1: I know that we should keep this to just Oscars and we'll get back to Oscars in two seconds. But are you watching the new season of True Detective starring Jodie Foster? I am. Okay. Who was
2: the one who texted you making sure you were watching That's right. I need someone to talk to about
1: it. Okay. So let's talk about that for a quick second. (laughs) Are you, have you watched all the, you know, this is the fourth season of True Detective The first one with uh, McConaughey and Woody Harrelson, phenomenal, kind of like suddenly created it's kind of this new category of
2: really dark. I guess it didn't create a new category, but they did it really, really well. You generally didn't see this on television. Correct.
1: Yeah. Season two, was that the one with Vince Vaughn Mm -hmm. and the guy from Friday Night Lights? Colin Farrell's in it. Colin Farrell's in it too. And then there's the other guy who played Tim Riggins on Friday Night Lights.
2: Oh, yeah. Taylor uh, Taylor Sheridan.
1: Yeah. No, no, no.
2: Taylor Sheridan is the. Oh uh, no, that's the writer. It's the of... writer
1: of Yellowstone. Kirsch
2: Kitsch. something Taylor Taylor Kitch. with a K. There you Taylor go. Taylor Kitsch.
1: yeah. So that's I think generally looked at
2: as the weakest of the various True Detective seasons. I've spoken to people who said they gave up because of that season, which is not a bad season. It's not. It's not bad, but it's not great. It's, yeah, it's, it's not as good
1: as season one. So it was like definitely like the sequel rule, mm-hmm. like the sequel to season one would be sure. season two, and it did not live up to it. Season three, pretty good. Yep. Mahershala Ali, I think, is the star of that one. Yep. I forget who else is the star of this. I forgot third that season. one too, honestly. <laughs> but this one's great. This new season is like this whole bizarre thing. It's, it's like takes place in this t- tiny little town in Alaska, right up near the Arctic Circle or something. During the winter, During so the it's winter, never there's no bright. daylight. Yeah. It's just dark and scary. My wife and I were watching. it. We're just
2: like, this is how we actually feel fear. It's almost a horror sci-fi take of True Detective. Yeah. That's why I kind of like it. But you know who's fantastic is Jodie Foster. Yeah, she's outstanding in it. And the thing that we like about Jodie Foster is we like seeing Jodie Foster in
1: scary situations where she's just like a very like average type of a person and she's in the middle of a crazy situation. Like she was in Silence of the Lambs, mm-hmm. right? She's like mm-hmm. dealing with Hannibal Lecter, but she's supposed to be just this quiet little girl from the backwoods of, you know, uh, wherever she was from, West Virginia, I think. But in this, she plays this like kind of not dissimilar character from that other movie, but it's great. Yeah, she's the police
2: chief. Very sick. Sc- and- yeah, she's doing detective things. Yeah, it it's- doesn't feel like fish out of water where I think people would expect. A character like that to go, not here. It's I very good. It. Yeah. yeah,
1: I don't want to give any spoilers, but it's very good. They all die in the end. H- yes, all right. Let's get to uh, which you your pick. What do you want to pick? Next? Okay, we'll
2: go into actress in a leading role.
1: Let's sit and let's do the main ones. I'm not
2: interested. Yeah, in I don't care about born. the uh, actress in a main story. role. All right, where is actress? All right, you go ahead and name them off. Uh, Annette Benning from nyad Lily Gladstone, Killers of the Flower Moon, also a local. Sandra Hewler or Huller from Anatomy of a Fall, Carrie Mulligan from Maestro, and Emma Stone from Poor Things.
1: So I have only seen one of the five of these movies in here. I have not seen I have seen Killers of the Flower Moon. So I can only give my opinion on that. And I think she's gonna win. I don't think she's going to who win. Who do you
2: think is going to win? I think it's going to go to Emma Stone. My money's on her because she's been winning everything else. Yeah. Now, if I were to judge it by the identity politics game, then yes, I would also go with Lily Gladstone, who was outstanding in the film. The the, the only piece of that movie that I enjoyed was her. She she's was great. outstanding. Yeah. I will say, however, if I were to pick the winner and who I think should win, it should be Sandra Huller from anatomy of a fall which is outstanding it's a good movie. but no one has seen it okay i'm gonna see it i haven't seen
1: it it's on my list i'm gonna see the movie uh best director we have got justine triette from anatomy of a fall the one you're just talking about um martin scorsese of course killers Whoa. of the Flower moon everybody knew he'd get it christopher nolan oppenheimer winner yargos lanthimos and jonathan glazer uh yargos is poor things and jonathan glazer is the zone of interest
2: uh, who do you think is going to win that one? Uh, Christopher Nolan. This I don't think anyone would bet against him. I know you know you throw Martin Scorsese. He always gets nominated, always loses. It, it, Christopher Nolan truly deserves the win for this. Phenomenal. Oppenheimer is a phenomenal movie, and it's
1: so massive. The scale. Mm-hmm. The thing that I like watching about Christopher Nolan movies. I'm, I mean, there's many many things that I love about his movies. One, the score is it's such a character a, such a character in the yeah. film and it's so loud in every one of his movies look at interstellar look mm-hmm. at like what he did and Hans Zimmer did in in uh, interstellar it's just fan- just fantastic in this movie the movie is so big you just can't even fathom how huge it feels i was i left the theater in knots like this is one of the mm-hmm. movies i saw in the- remember this came out in barbie they like packaged it with yep. barbie and they did that they had that weird marketing idea which was kind of brilliant they're like hey people are either going to see Oppenheimer and that says something about the person or they're going to see Barbie or there's going to be people who go see both. See them both. The same night. And I left the theater from Oppenheimer. My stomach was in knots. I literally was sick because (laughs) it's such a tense movie. It really is. And And it's it's, like
2: long. It is long, but this was the first time in a three-hour movie that I did not feel like I was in a three-hour movie. Really? It didn't feel three hours to me. I thought it went by rather quickly. It's long and it feels a little long. But it didn't feel like three hours. Versus *Flowers of* uh, *Killers of the Flower Moon*, that felt like seven hours. That felt and like it was a long three movie. and a half. Hours. It, yeah. it was so long. It wasn't. I didn't particularly like it. So I it's was like, it well directed. Eh. Scorsese movies are kind of getting to that now. I mean, like he's not a young man anymore. They're and all the same. He, he just kind of makes as long as he wants to make. Like *The yeah. Irishman*. *The Irishman* could have been cut in half. Most of his films and Quentin Tarantino. No one is going to tell no them. No one's going to note them to cut, yeah. and so they allow them to be a little bit too self-indulgent. Uh, in, in this like case, what, I like what Quentin Tarantino does. though. Uh, it's not that I don't like them, but they're still too long. They don't have to be. You cut thirty minutes from a Quentin Tarantino movie, you wouldn't know it. He would. He would beg to differ with you well, for sure. Full right, of himself. We got
1: time for one more category. What do you want? Well, we got to do best actor oh, then. Okay, best actor, and then we got to do best picture.
2: All right, so best actor. Uh, read them off. Uh, Bradley Cooper, Maestro, Coleman, Domingo, Rustin, Paul Giamatti, The Holdovers, Killian Murphy, Oppenheimer, Jeffrey Wright, American Fiction.
1: I think Killian Murphy's going to win just because I've seen it
2: mm-hmm. and he's, <laughs> well, getting, a good he's getting a lot
1: of, he's getting a lot of press. Who he's, do you
2: think is going to win? He's not going to win. It's going to go to Paul Giamatti who is also again, winning all of the other I awards. Like,
1: I like the movie. I like Holdovers. I didn't think he played. Too big of a.
2: I mean, he felt like Paul Giamatti to me. Ah, he was he, but his eye was all twisted and weird. It was a weird eye. Yeah, he had a prosthetic in or something. He's going to win. Although I agree with you in that, if I were to pick based on this list, I would go with Killian Murphy. However, this is another huge miss. Saltburn, and the lead actor there was not on this movie. uh, Was not nominated. Yeah, and he should have been.
1: Yeah, and that's, uh, Ke- is it Keegan? Um, or, Barry Keegan. Barry Keegan, that's
2: he, right. He 100% gave the best performance he's, of any movie. He's ve- got
1: nothing. I've seen that. He's very good in that movie, too. All right, best picture. Uh, we've got American fiction, Anatomy of a Fall, Barbie, Holdovers, Killers of the Flower Moon, Maestro, Oppenheimer, Past Lives, Poor Things, and The Zone
2: of Interest. What do you think? American fiction should not be on this list. Maestro should not be on this list. I'm surprised, pleasantly, that Past Lives is on this list. I highly recommend that film. It's amazing. Uh, this is going to go to uh, I think everyone knows Oppenheimer. I think Oppenheimer. And I think that too. is of this list. It is the best film. Anatomy of a Fall, close second but I don't think as many people saw it to vote for it. Oppenheimer's going to win.
1: And Oppenheimer, I think, had 13 nominations. Is that right? They had the most this year? They have um, the most. Yeah. I, yeah, I think it is 13. I could be wrong about that. I'm wrong about a lot of stuff on yeah, this show. Yeah, but you
2: say it with confidence. It's right.
1: Yep. 13 it is. Lucky 13. All right, Jason Rands, thanks for coming on, man. Thanks for having me. All right, we're going to be right back here on Cairo Nights.
3: You're listening to Cairo Nights with Jake Skorheim. Welcome back
1: to the show. I want to play you some new audio we just got in a second ago. Uh, you guys know that New Hampshire primary was today. Started at midnight with the first in the nation. Uh, what was it, Dixville? Dixville Notch, New Hampshire. Dixville Notch, New Hampshire. New Hampshire, where six votes went to Nikki Haley. All the rest of the votes, it sounds like, went to Donald Trump. And in New Hampshire, it looks like Trump won. New Hampshire? Here is his victory speech. He got up onto the stage and uh, sounded very Trumpian.
0: Thank you. Whoa! USA! 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 Well, I want to thank everybody. This is a fantastic state. This is a great, great state you know we won new hampshire three times now three Three. i have to tell you it was very interesting because i said wow what a great victory but then somebody ran up to the stage all dressed up nicely
1: I cannot listen to this guy without hearing that impersonator that we played yesterday, James Austin Johnson. They sound exactly like—he now sounds to me like he's doing an impression of James Austin Johnson, which I think is a very good sign.
0: When it was at 7, but now I just walked up and it's at 14. (laughs) But but she ran up when it was 7, and, you know, we have to do what's good for our party. And she was up, and I said, "Wow, she's doing— like a speech, like she won. She didn't win, she lost. And you know, last last week we had a little bit of a problem. And if you remember, Ron was very upset because she ran up and she pretended she won Iowa. And I looked around, I said, didn't she come in third? Yeah, she came in third. And then I looked at the polls. She was talking about most winnability, who's going to win, and I had one put up. I don't know if you see it, but I have one put up. We've won almost every single poll in the last three months against crooked Joe Biden. Almost every poll. And she doesn't win those
1: Then Haley got up to speak and uh, she, she said, though, she did not take this to time to concede. She said, I'm going to keep going. There's a lot of races yet.
0: I want to congratulate Donald Trump on his victory tonight. He earned it. And I want to acknowledge that. Now, you've all heard the chatter among the political class. They're falling all over themselves, saying this race is over. over. (laughs) Well, I have news for all of them. New Hampshire is first in the nation, it is not the last in the nation. This race is far from over. There are dozens of states left to go.
1: Dozens of states left to go. I just feel like I want to offer a little advice to anyone out there. And I I don't know what your political persuasion is. I tend to really have a distaste for almost all politicians. I think if I got to know them personally, I wouldn't like them very much. But let me just say this. Whether it's Trump who wins in November or whether it's Biden who wins in November— Your life is still going to be wonderful, and the things that are going to matter in your life are going to come from the people in your life who you surround yourself with and your local community. So that's where you should be focusing your attention. I know that it's easy to be swept up in the, oh, if Trump wins, everything's going to be horrible, or if Biden gets reelected again, everything's going to be horrible. But just my Pollyannish view to you as we head out of this hour is things are not so bad, and they're going to be good. And whoever's president next will only be president for four years. And then we'll get another one. And the cycle will go on. Rinse and repeat. Rinse and repeat. So keep your head up and you're going to have a good life. You're going to have a good life. All right. we got a lot more coming up on the show. We're going to get to that next when we come back here on Kyra Nights. It's cold outside.